Mac Power Users, episode 554. Read it later, services. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen, how are you today? I'm good. It's uh, it's nice outside. Like I feel like in the South, we're making the turn into fall, which is great. Like I had my windows open and I'm just, I'm enjoying the cooler weather. Yeah, I, I've had a lot of listeners write me asking about the uh, proximity of the wildfires to the Sparks home and we're fine. We're totally safe. Uh, the only downside for us is that the air quality is just horrible. So like my usual hiking and outdoor stuff I do, I, I don't do. Even just going out with the dog for 30 minutes, I, I can just feel it in my lungs. So we got bad air quality, but um, we're safe. Good. I'm glad. It's, uh, it's a scary time out there, you know? And yeah. I know we've got uh, listeners and people, even in the Relay community, dealing with this up close. And it's definitely a scary time. Yeah, it's I I've been there. We've had close fires and it's no fun. So uh, my yeah. uh, heart goes out to everybody that's dealing with this stuff. Mm-hmm. So Stephen, we're going to talk today about read it later. But before we get started, we got some announcements. Uh, yeah, we do. So we've been talking a lot about uh, St. Jude this fall, and as we as this episode is released, just a couple of days ago was the podcastathon. The version of Steven that's talking right now hasn't gone through the podcast-a-thon yet, yes. so I hope it went well. You did great, man. I, I'm back from my time <laughs> yeah. machine, and I was so impressed. Good job. Thank you. Uh, we have raised uh, a whole lot of money for St. Jude, and that is because of the generosity of the Relay FM family. If you haven't donated yet, uh, we definitely encourage you to. The fundraiser is going to go on all month, so we're going to keep talking about this at stjude.org slash relay. Those donations allow St. Jude to do things like uh, any family that lives more than or has to travel more than 35 miles, they're offered housing for free by St. Jude. If they need to fly here, St. Jude pays for that meals. And then, of course, the treatment itself all taken care of. So uh, parents with kids with cancer, including including me, uh, we can focus on our kids health and our family and not the finances. And I got to tell you, that is simply amazing. And it's only possible because of generous donors out there in the world. Yes. Uh, Stephen, you had shared a post uh, just a little bit before we record this about how between last year and this year, the podcastathon has now raised over half a million dollars for childhood yeah. cancer. Um, I, isn't there part of you that wishes you were like in the room at St. Jude where somebody's like, wait a second, these are just a bunch of podcast nerds. How did, what, <laughs> huh? You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. No, it's really cool. It I is really it. cool. I love it. Yeah. So thank you, listeners that have donated. I've heard from a bunch of you. Some of you, you know, I've been making the show so long. A lot of the listeners are friends at this point and people writing me, telling me about their donations. And uh, so many people just kind of giving in the time that when it is really hard to give and we both appreciate it. I did that too. I, uh, I had put money aside for the Apple Watch this year and I decided, you know what? I'm just going to give it to St. Jude, and it felt great, I'll tell you that. But uh, whatever you can afford, we appreciate it, and uh, I hope that um, you guys enjoyed the podcast-a-thon as much as we're looking forward to making it. How's that for a mind-bender? I like it. A couple other things. Uh, we're going to talk about the Apple event at the end of the show. We've got a whole segment about it, new watches, new iPads, a whole bunch of stuff to talk about for Mac Power users. We also want to talk about the upcoming iPhone event. We're going to do that for the more Power user segment today, but... There's a couple news-related things. 
this week, Apple released iOS 14. Nobody expected them to say, oh, and by the way, iOS 14 is coming out tomorrow. You know, (laughs) I was just thinking, man, poor Federico, right? You know, and all all the developers and everybody was thinking they had another week or two to kind of polish things up. Uh, So that's weird. Uh, For us, normally what we would have done this week is recorded two episodes. We'd record the iOS 14 episode. We've got a whole outline. We have a lot to talk about. And, And this episode, which we sort of record in the process of recording now, but with podcast-a-thon and everything going on, we're just going to delay the iOS 14 a week. So um, we have a lot to share with you about iOS 14. That'll be in next week's episode, and we're looking forward to making it. Um, a lot of people are asking me about the shortcuts field guide. I did not have to make a whole new one this year. Thank goodness Apple didn't change so much that I had to start from scratch. I have added, it uh, looks like about 16 videos. I don't even have a total time count as we record this. Uh, but they are up. As you listen to this, they are available to you. If you bought the field guide, you can go in. They're already there. I Not only did I integrate them into the course, so anything with a 14 next to it is for iOS 14. There's a whole section at the bottom with just all of the iOS 14 videos together. Oh, nice. Yeah, they came out great. And um, I, I'm explaining all the cool new stuff with iOS 14, including automatic automation, which uh, we'll talk about next week. One more point is I'm doing a $5 discount because I just did an update and I'd like everybody to get into it that can. And I'm doing a free webinar all about changes to shortcuts with iOS 14. Uh, The date will be on Thursday, the 1st of October at 10 a.m. So sign up for that, please. And just have a good time. I'm probably going to have another guest speaker with me. Uh, Apple caught me with my pants down a little bit too, but you know, so I don't have the guest speaker lined up just yet, but uh, there's going to be a fun webinar on all the changes to shortcuts with iOS 14 on October 1. I'll have a link in the show notes and uh, I'll see you there. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Mars Edit, the premium blog editing app for the Mac. And, you know, we say premium, we throw that word around. But gang, it is so good. You know, so many of these blogging platforms, I use WordPress, for example, but it works with micro.blog, Tumblr, and others. You're writing on the web, right? You're opening a Safari window, and it's really easy to close it. It may not autosave. You can have all these issues. But if you're like me, you want to do that in a Mac app, a Mac app that has access to things like your photo library, has access to things like Mac OS's grammar and spell checking service just right there in the app uh, a back app that you can preview your text and your images to make sure everything looks good things things you can use in html and markdown mars edit handles all of that mars edit is the way that i interact with 512 pixels i very rarely go to the wordpress admin uh, section of my site unless i'm updating something i edit post i write post i do pages all within mars edit so get out of the browser and into a beautifully designed Mac app. It even has a strict where it can download the entire history of your blog. So you can have a permanent copy of your post safely stored on your Mac. That just speaks to my heart on a deep, deep level. And like I said, Marzetta integrates with all the great stuff that makes the Mac the Mac. So you're not siloed off in a browser. You're just working in a really great Mac app. MPU listeners can get 20% off the one-time purchase cost of Mars Edit by going to marsedit.com slash MPU. That's marsedit.com slash MPU. Go there now to check it out. If you blog with WordPress, micro.blog, Tumblr, or others, 
you need this app in your life. Our thanks to Mars Edit for the support of the show and Relay FM. The first rule of WordPress is you never write in WordPress. Agreed. So we uh, we want to talk about the the second half of the RSS episode today. You know, we we covered RSS about a month ago, but in doing the research for that, I went deep on read it later services as well, and I thought that you know let's just finish the story because. Uh, well, Unread and some of the other RSS apps are great for discovering and keeping up with information that you're interested in. There is a whole another ecosystem of apps that make it easier to read and process the, that data or those articles. So today we're going to finish that story. Yeah, it's if RSS is one side of the coin, read it later really is the other. And I'm glad we're doing these two pretty close together. I think we need to start with some of the basics, though, about uh, what these services are and maybe why someone would want to integrate them into their workflow. Yeah, well, a lot of people write things on the Internet that you could, that take longer than a couple minutes to read. I think that's the starting point for me, at least. Like when I'm in, in Unread and I see a two-paragraph two article, a lot of times I'll read it and move on and be done with it. But then I'll stumble across something else, right? You know, something that is going to take a lot of time to read that, you know, a a thousand to 10,000 word article. Well, I don't want to read it in one of those apps. I want to have a better reading experience. And that's what read later services are. Daisy and I just watched that um, Mr. Rogers movie with Tom Hanks. Oh yeah. So of course, you know, as you do, I went and looked up the, you know, the the original article that was written about him that's the inspiration for the movie and did the, you know, the usual deep dive. All that stuff goes into read it later. I'm not going to read that on the web like an animal. I'm going to put it in a read it later <laughs> service. Yeah, it's it's absolutely great for siloing those long posts. Um I also use them for just triage. So if I'm on Twitter or in my RSS app and something looks like, "Oh, this is something I want to check out, but I don't have time right now." Uh, I can send it to my read it later service and sort of evaluate it there when I have more time. It doesn't even mean that I will necessarily read it later, but it gives me a place to store things uh, because, you know, RSS and Twitter, they're, they're vapor going through your hands, right? Like it's, it's here today and gone tomorrow. And I, I want to be able to pull things out of the stream and put them someplace else for evaluation. Yeah, and, and an important point that Stephen makes there is it gives you the freedom to say, okay, this is of interest to me, but I'm not going to stop working right now and read these 10,000 words. Instead, I'm going to put a pin in it by sticking it in my read it later service. And then later when there's a more appropriate time, I can go through and decide if this is something I actually want to read or maybe this is something I really want to thoroughly digest. But they do a lot more than that. I mean, there's features in these apps. I mean, they make it more presentable. What do you mean by that? It's uh, It's got a nice layout for the words. It scrapes out a bunch of the garbage you get from reading things on the, you know, in the browser. It's got adjustable type and colors, so you can make it look the way you want with, you know, the size you want the text to be, whether that be big or small. And then they've added a whole bunch of new features. Some of these apps uh, over the years, you know, as the you know shooting war goes between various apps competing for your business, and there's you know there's highlighting, and some of them will will go do text to speech and read it to you, and we're going to cover all that in this show. But you get a lot more services out of Read It Later than you used to. 
Yeah, absolutely. They have come a long way. And I think I think really what you're hitting on is why like the ultimate reason people should check them out is because you can have a nicer experience reading something, right? You can have something that doesn't have the chrome of a website and all that stuff around it. But the thing I hear when I talk about this to, with people is why would I want another inbox? Am I just creating for myself another thing to check, another thing to worry about, another another place where things are just going to sit? And I think that is a real friction point. And I'm curious how you approach that. Well, I mean, I don't really view it as an inbox because to me, the inbox is the web and the RSS app. Uh, I view a read it later service more as a destination. And, you know, that's someplace where I put things. It's not, you know, the inbox, it's already made its way through the inbox before it gets to a, a read it later application. And, I also think that, you know, there's something to be said for a read it later app as like a magazine made just for you. I mean, like my Mm. read it later contents include things about, you know, developments in California business law. It includes stuff about Apple Silicon. It includes stuff about woodworking and raising dogs. And like, there's a bunch of articles in there that are made just for me, you know, and stuff that I want to read. So anytime I pick that up, it's got something there for me. And I guess, you know, so I, I look at it as a, as a view of delight, you know, a, a source of delight, you know, who wants to lay in bed at night and open a news app and get yourself completely worked up and not be able to sleep why not open this custom magazine that is curated just for you so and and i do not look at it as a thing where you it's like an inbox zero thing where you have to empty it out every day i think if you do you make yourself crazy but uh it is um it's a great source of entertainment and reading and research if you want and we're going to talk in the show later i have a whole research workflow that i run through related read it later services so i very much use this as a work tool as well but i also look at it as kind of a a source of of something to nice to read when i want to read and uh i i've really kind of had a um you know i've really reawoken to some of these apps based on that show we did last month, you know, cause I went into this as well. I feel like read it later is more relevant uh, today than it has been in a long time, really. Yeah. That's, that's how I view the difference as well. Is that an inbox, like an email or something else, other people can put things there, but only I get to add things to my read it later app. And I think if you view it as some sort of race to get, to clear them out or, Again, the inbox zero idea. I think you're approaching it the wrong way. I mean, I've got things in mind that have been there in some cases over a year, a year and a half. It's not because I haven't gone around to them yet, although that may be true, but it is, hey, I'm saving this for something that's coming up in the future and I just need a place to put it that's not in a bookmark, not someplace else. So we could talk about some of those differences between these apps and there's other ways to save things. But it's a, it's a curated thing curated by me, and so I'm never going to be surprised when I open a Read It Later app to find something that I wasn't expecting because past me put them in there to begin with. Yeah, and table stakes for all these services are they take the article offline for you. So they've got the article saved for you. So even if the, the website goes down, you can still read this. And if you're sitting on an airplane, the stuff is still available to you. So... I mean, there's a lot of features we're going to cover throughout the show, but 
a read-a-later service is definitely something you should be thinking about. And you know what? You can start with a free one that's baked into the operating system made by Apple. Yeah, so for a long time, Safari has had a a feature called a reading list that's a very basic read-it-later I don't even want to call it a service. It's a feature of Safari. It lets you save things from the Mac or iOS versions into this sort of part of Safari that's not your regular bookmarks, but it's kind of uh, on the side and it syncs over iCloud. And you can come back and and read those articles when you have more time. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely is a Sherlock of the read later services that were blowing up when Safari first showed up. I think famously Mark Gorman was in the room when they announced it. He made uh-huh. some noise, <laughs> yeah. but the, uh, you know, it's Apple. So when they, when they do that, they always make a basic version, but they never make, you know, the version just like mm-hmm. they make spotlight, but they don't make Alfred, you know, it's right. like, they're never going to go crazy. And, and that's what this is really. It, it's a light version of a read later service. They've added the ability to save content for the articles offline, but you've got to go check a box in the preferences. Super important. If you're going to use this, take the time to do that. Yeah. Initially, Safari reading list didn't offer offline reading. It's like, well, part of the point of this is it has the content. So again, if I'm on a plane or on a subway or something, I can just read them. Or like, if you're like me, I was stuck at a doctor's office for like five hours yesterday and with very little cell service, like, well, you know, reading <laughs> read it later service is very helpful in that because it has the content offline. Yeah, it did add that, uh, but like you said, you got to make sure that the access offline access is enabled. So on the Mac, that's in Safari preferences, and then Advanced, and there's an option in there. On iOS, it's the Settings app, Safari, and down towards the bottom, there's a automatically save offline reading list uh, checkbox. So you want to make sure that's all there. I I will say, I know you've used this extensively, so I want to hear what you think about it. But in my testing the last couple of weeks, now I am running a beta on my iPhone. So maybe it's that. So take it with a grain of salt. But I did have some issues with the offline content actually being there. So I'd open Safari. Something would be in reading list. I put my my phone in airplane mode and it would say, oh, you can't read this offline. Uh, I don't know if that's just a beta thing or, again, you've used it more than I have, so I want to hear if that's a, an actual issue. But it does offer the the basic features, and it is inside Safari. So the reading list has its own sidebar on the Mac, and on iOS, it's kind of hidden in the bookmarks view. If I like, go to bookmarks, and then there's a, a tab controller at the top, and you can go into a reading list there. Yeah, you know, the thing about this offline reading uh, stuff or for safari I, I just don't understand why they make it so hard to turn it on for me if if i was in charge i would just have offline reading turned on by default and make you go into the system preferences if you want to turn it off i mean it just seems so obvious that this is a feature they should have and it makes me wonder if this problem you encountered isn't more common um i did occasionally see it but i didn't test for it you know, and I've been home with Wi-Fi for the last, you know, six months. Of course. So, so I didn't really notice that I lost anything, but I have just using, because I've used Safari reading list for years, and uh, occasionally I, I would lose things, but I just would kind of figure that's up to the wills of the internet. But, the, uh, but you know, there are advantages to the Safari reading list because it's, it's built into the system. It's so easy to use it. To add something to the reading list, you can just hit the little plus button in the address bar 
and it gets added and every app and every connection on ios on the mac all have an ability to send a web page to a reading list except of course apple news which wants to keep everything in its own silo but yeah um that's <laughs> probably another story but either way um uh, so they make it really easy to put things in reading lists and generally it works pretty well is kind of my experience i i about two three years ago i decided to give it a test for a few months and i liked it and just stuck with it because I found it was good enough for me. Yeah, I think it's good enough for for most people. And if you want to, if you're not using one of these services and you want to kind of dip your toe in the water, this is free. If you're using Safari, it's already just in your browser. And you hit on a really important point. It's very easy to get things into it. In fact, on iOS, the save to reading list, like share extension is basically just everywhere and if yeah. you don't use it, you just have to ignore it everywhere. But it is uh, pretty straightforward, uh, basically from any web view on iOS, to very quickly save that into the reading list. And then after a few moments, it's on all of your devices, thanks to iCloud. Yeah, but it's still missing a lot of features. And we're going to be talking about that with the paid services uh, in the next segment. But you can't tag or organize your articles and reading lists. It's just a list of articles. And there's two buttons you can press you can press a button to clear an individual article or you can press a button to clear all of the articles and more than once i have accidentally pressed clear all clear all articles and i'm like okay well i just lost you know 40 articles but i guess they weren't that important to me <laughs> <You know? laughs> but so you have to be careful with that there's no archive once you lose it it's gone and um but it's you know it's simple to use and it's there and it's just kind of baked in. I, I was using it kind of as an inbox and I guess you already can probably hear dear listener that I'm not using it anymore, but on a weekly basis on my, you know, Saturday list, I would go through reading lists and actually deal with stuff because, you know, because it's so easy to put things in reading lists, kind of getting to the earlier point of don't stop what you're doing to read an article or look at something like somebody will send me a link to an app that I may want to cover in Mac power users, but I'm in the middle of writing a contract. So I'll just um, save it to reading list. And then on Saturday, I'll go through and take a look at the stuff and decide what I'm going to do with it. And then it gets turned into an OmniFocus project or I, I, it gets deleted or something happens to it. That's kind of the use case I had for it, but it, it wasn't enough for what I was doing. And ultimately I started looking for better tools when we did that RSS episode. Yeah, the, the lack of archive really burns me on Safari reading lists. And honestly, it's why I don't I don't use it. Uh, I use Instapaper. I've used it for a long time. And in trying other apps for this, I'd you know try to import the archive or see if there was a way to do that. Because there are times where I, I know I've read this or I think I've read something about this and maybe I can go find it. And chances are, if, if I remember an article, it's because it was in a read it later service, not because I just saw it on the web. Yeah. So I do like having, uh, having that ability to go in and search what I had saved previously, even if I've already read it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and, uh, it, it does feel more like an inbox, you know, the more I think about it, cause like even when I look back on the way I used it, cause I do a lot of research with web-based stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, Safari Reading View was just a starting point that I would then burn to PDF and, you know, put in Dev and Think and like the whole process would start. 
you know, and Safari doesn't really facilitate that so much as just give you a place to start the process. Like you can't really work on something in reading list view like you can in some of these other services. And that is something that I found I missed. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move and enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Now, when you want to build a website, head to Squarespace because it lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. So maybe you want to create an online store or portfolio or a blog. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about that stuff. Squarespace has got it covered for you. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your next great idea. Now, we talk often about Squarespace and how it's a great platform to help a non-nerd friend get a website presence because it's so easy to set up and make changes that once you teach them how to do it, they can take care of themselves and you don't have to become the owner of their website forever. But what we don't talk about enough is the power features. I use Squarespace for both Max Sparky and my legal website, and they've got a bunch of great tools in there. So I can get very fine grain changes to the typography, the way my website looks. They've got SEO stuff built in. You can sell products. I mean, Squarespace is a great entry point, but it's also a great ending point for a really great website. And that's why I've been so happy to go with it for all these years for MaxSparky.com. The other thing I love is that they just handle traffic. You know, when you have one company that handles both the the platform for your website and the back end hosting, you just never have a problem because they're working together and everything. Occasionally, Max Markey gets linked by a big website and I get hammered with a bunch of traffic. My website never goes down. And back before I was on Squarespace, that was always a problem. You know, the good news is you got linked by somebody big. The bad news is your website is now broken. That never happens with Squarespace. So I'm a big fan of it. And you can be too. Uh, plans start at just $12 a month. But you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash MPU. And when you decide to sign up, use offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for Mac Power users. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash MPU and code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So let's talk a little bit more about services that go beyond Safari reading list. If you need uh, more features or uh, additional support, things like that. I want to start with Instapaper because I think in sort of the Apple nerd community, it's probably the default for a lot of people. It was it was written by Marco Arment, who really deserves credit for basically inventing this sort of genre of app. And he's told the story places where he was traveling on the train in New York and he wanted to be able to read things on the web. And this was a side project when he was at Tumblr and it's kind of what launched his independent career. Now he's the developer of Overcast. His paper has changed hands to somebody else. But uh, it's kind of the the original player. Instapaper is one of the apps that has been on my iPhone home screen basically since it came out in 2008. He was very early in the App Store. 
and it it continues to be, even though it's one of the oldest options we're going to talk about, continues to be, uh, I think, very competitive and and honestly very good. It has a lot of the features that we were talking about Safari reading list missing, but its sort of core thing, the reason it was invented, is offline reading. So I can save something when I open the app later. It has all that content cached locally, text, images, all of it, and that means that I can read it without an internet connection. Or even if the article has been taken offline or has you know changed or something, I still have the contents of it on my device. Yeah, I mean, Safari reading list is the easiest to get articles into, but these services are not far behind. They all have plugins for iOS and on the Mac. On the Mac, I have, uh, you just put a um, little JavaScript applet in your bar there, and you can press a button and save it to the service. Same thing on iOS. It's very easy to get stuff into these, and they uh, they look real pretty. I, I think that Instapaper's big feature for me is just the way it displays the words. You know, we had this exact same discussion with RSS apps, and I came to the conclusion that, you know, I wanted the app that presented the words in the most appealing way to me. Mm-hmm. And Instapaper is like that in this genre. I mean, it, it does just a great job with typography, and it's got a bunch of fonts you can pick from. But just the default view is very comfortable for me. You can really customize it. I've changed the font I use. You can do different color modes, different themes. I like that from like the, this is nice to read, but there's also an accessibility angle here that when you can truly customize what a UI looks like, then you can make it accessible to more people. And that's an important thing where, you know, Safari reader mode and and these other apps I'm going to talk about have some of that, but I think it's the paper really stands head and shoulders above the rest when it comes to uh, this sort of customization and accessibility. Yeah. And the um, there's some other things in the basic Instapaper that we should cover. I mean, one of them is a feature that you don't get with Safari reading list is categorization, you know, the ability to sort these articles. And Instapaper uses a folder model. You know, you just create a folder, give it a label. Um, unfortunately that is not a nested folder model. You can't create like a folder for tech and then put inside it folders for Mac and then a folder for iPad. You just get one layer of depth with those folders, but you do have a a method of organizing. Yeah. And as someone who prefers folders over tags, (laughs) I like this about Instapaper. Scratches your itch. Yeah. Yeah. I do wish they were nested, uh, especially if you're working on like a research project and, maybe saving a bunch of things it would be nice to have have the option to say look you know these are all kind of related but i need to organize them a little bit further but i think it's okay to have a a single layer it's definitely better than nothing yeah well i think it's it's almost required to have at least one layer of organization for these paid services and and they have it they also have a, a nice web view and you know, I hope Marco isn't listening, <laughs> but when he ran Instapaper, I never liked the web view of Instapaper. And I just, it just felt to me like it just wasn't a priority to him. And, um, but, you know, going back to Instapaper and looking at it among these other apps, uh, their web view now is very nice. So like you can very easily read these on the web or organize your articles on the web um, using the Instapaper website. Uh, the website also gives you access to uh, a bunch of these features. So you have your archive, 
Uh, so you can go in and see everything you saved. I have thousands of things in my archive here. Uh, but you can also have, uh, you can create notes on an article and it puts them all in one place. There's a browse feature, which is really cool. So in Instapaper, you have the option to publicly share links that you favorite. And so it, people you can follow people and they show up here. Uh, but there's also featured and daily articles that are either popular in Instapaper or, or shared by the people behind Instapaper. And so there's this really cool feature where you can you can find other things they're not automatically added to your your reading list like we talked about earlier i'm still in charge of what i see but if you want to explore articles that other people have found interesting there is a feature to do that that is not invasive in it in any way i like that balance yeah yeah it, it is it's nice and you know it's not really built for sharing instant paper but it does have sharing features mm-hmm. which for me is probably the right balance i'm not super into sharing the stuff i mean this is kind of my my research pool i don't necessarily want to share everything i'm I'm reading in it but uh it's there if you need it um there's a premium version and if you want to buy that is 30 dollars a year and uh with the premium version you get additional features uh you get full text search of all the articles in your account, which for Steven would be a lot of articles. So mm-hmm. um, it, this is something that kind of builds on itself the more you use the service. One of the features we haven't talked about yet is notes, where you can actually write notes on the articles. And this kind of gets back to uh, the issue I was talking about before the break with reading list is that I had a whole separate workflow for using articles for research before. And one of the things I started rethinking a month ago was, well, how could I incorporate that into this process? You know, taking notes on an an article without having to burn it out as PDF and, you know, like start a whole different process. You know, can I streamline this? And adding notes and highlights is the way you can do that. And that's something that just doesn't exist with Apple Reading List, but with Instapaper and some of these other services you can. And one of the features you get with the premium version is unlimited notes. So I can take as many notes on an article as I want. One last feature of Instapaper. Uh, it does have the ability to send stuff out to uh, a Kindle. This is something that I used in the early days of Instapaper. It kind of set it apart where you could like send your reader's digest to your Kindle and, and see all your stuff. Um, I don't necessarily use it, but if you're a big Kindle fan, you may want to look at that feature. Yeah, that, that, like bombed my Kindle for so long. There were so many Instapaper things coming in. I couldn't find my books. You know, they, they've got better at the way that works. Now I used to, I, t- I tried it out years ago, but I, I just read them, you know, read the articles in Instapaper. I don't need to send it off to Kindle. Um, there are some additional features too. You get with a premium version. There's text to speech uh, with your playlist on mobile. So if you're driving down the road, you can have it actually read an article to you. I'm not doing a lot of driving lately, so I'm not using this feature very much, but I did test it out, and it's kind of a nice thing to have. And they have a speed reading mode, and I actually took a speed reading course years ago, and I don't really practice it very much, but you could, if you want, have it like feed you. Some of the tricks with speed reading is making the columns narrower and just keeping the text rolling faster. And if you want to try that out, you can do that with this one. I'll tell you, um, so I, I went when we decided to do the RSS uh, show, I decided to also at the same time start digging in on these. And I didn't, I don't feel any loyalty to, towards Instapaper. I mean, for the longest time I was loyal to Instapaper, you know, because my friend owned it. 
sure. but you know, he sold it a long time ago. In fact, before I went to reading list, I had already moved over to pocket. So I came into re, uh, Instapaper kind of with uh, a raised eyebrow thinking, oh, I'm not sure if Instapaper is still up to it. And uh, I was really impressed. Um, the developers, I don't even know who owns it at this point, but they've continued to evolve it. They've added features. They've kept that core essence of Instapaper of making it a really good reading experience. They've improved the website. I, I don't like organization with one level of folders. Uh, that's probably my biggest complaint about the service, but overall it's, it's rock solid. I mean, Instapaper is still very much a contender. So let's, let's talk a little bit about pocket. Uh, in the, the past, uh, the reason I have preferred Instapaper over pocket is the reading experience that Instapaper has a lot of fonts you can choose from themes. You can really tweak things. And I found pocket a little bit lacking in that area. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, the take I always had was, you know, like Pocket is good for media. Like if you want to do, you know, embed YouTube videos and if you're dealing with a lot of like pictures and media stuff, you should look at Pocket. And if you want to deal with a lot of words, you should look at Instapaper. But of course, in this interim period that I was off in the wild with reading lists, they've both kind of approached each other where you know, Instapaper has no problem handling media now and pocket has definitely improved their visual look and feel of their article reading experience. So uh, I, I think that they're, they're pretty close. Although I would argue that Instapaper looks better than pocket still. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just, it just does. And I, I'm not even sure if I can put my finger on what's different about it, but, um, I like the way it renders. I like the way it looks. Um, you know, these, these two apps are remarkably close in their feature sets. One of the big differences between them that stood out to me was organization. You know, Steven doesn't like tags. Pocket is tag-based organization. Instapaper is folder-based. And, you know, I, don't, I think tags would actually be a better solution because I can apply multiple tags to a single article. Uh, if you get the paid version of Pocket, you can, it'll even suggest tags for you. So it takes the human element out of assigning tags. It'll do it for you. So that is a big difference. But I, I still feel like Instapaper actually looks better. I agree. Totally agree. The other thing I noticed, because I, I ran a test with Pocket too. In fact, when I started the journey, I thought I'll probably just end up back with Pocket because I put my old account a credential in and it remembered me and all those articles that I had saved before were still there for me. So, you know, I thought, well, I'll just re-sign up with Pocket. And one of the things I noted is that Pocket has way more of a social element to it where you can, you know, I, I feel like the social tools are stronger in Pocket. And to me, that wasn't necessarily a plus. I mean, I, I just don't want to use that stuff. But they clearly have put a lot of effort into turning their platform into a social thing, which, of course, is kind of the trend with companies these days. They mm -hmm. want to make it a social platform, yep. whereas I just want to read a later service. And that was actually a turnoff for me. Yeah, that's fair. I think a lot of these services do that to encourage people to find more stuff to read. Like, I think it's, I think it's well intentioned. But I agree with you. I want just a place to stash stuff just for me, and I can come back to it later and don't have to worry about, you know, sharing it or or having some sort of public persona in my read it later app. Yeah, agreed. Uh, they have a paid um, service. It's five dollars a month or forty five dollars a year. And it's got the ability to save your articles and 
you know, it'll read them back to you with a, and it's got full text search, unlimited highlights. I, I, I sound familiar. I mean, it's almost like the feature set between Instapaper and Pocket is is pretty close. Yeah, I, I remember in you know, 2007, 2008, when these were really taking off, it was like every month there was something that Pocket did that Instapaper already had or Instapaper would pull ahead and away. Like, it was just, it was really a vibrant like ecosystem of these apps. And now, gosh, 12, 13 years later, they sort of settled down where they are very similar. There are a couple of things that one does better than the other, but the Venn diagram between Instapaper and Pocket is closer than ever, I think. Yeah, it, it really is. And the fact is, I don't know what the, I was thinking about this and prepping for the show. What kind of features would I add to this stuff? I mean, there's so much that it does already. I, I feel like in a lot of ways, this is very, a very settled area. And uh, if you just spend a few minutes with either, with both of these two pocket and Instapaper, if you want to go, you know, to a better read it later service than Apple's uh, reading list, I would recommend you just try each one of these for a day or two. And I, I suspect after a couple hours, you're going to know which one is right for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are a couple of other alternatives that are worth looking at. Uh, the first being Pinboard, which is the anti-pocket, right? Like there's no, or I would say there can be absolutely no social interaction with pinboard you can turn that on if you want but but by default it's private pinboard is really kind of a hybrid of a bookmarking site like if you think about delicious way back in the day where you could save bookmarks on the web it is kind of part that part read it later service because it does have features where it can save content just on their website so if if an article goes away or website goes away you still have it it does have archiving. It does have uh, organizational tools. You can you can tag things. It even has automatic tagging uh, for some things. You can save things with a JavaScript bookmarklet. Where it sort of breaks down a little bit for me is some of the niceties around the edges. So there's not wide adoption of Pinboard in iOS apps to save things uh, really easily. There's, while there are some third-party pinboard apps, because uh, pinboard itself is just a website, but there are some iOS apps that sync with us. You can have your whole pinboard library. And in my experience, at least, they're not super polished. I think the syncing can be a little rough. Uh, I, for a long time, used pinboard as sort of a research place uh, that sort of Devin Think took over for me. And I always found it frustrating that the mobile experience of Pinboard just wasn't as good as a bunch of these other services. Yeah, you know, it's weird. There are these bookmark services that, you know, because this market has matured so much, they are very similar to read it later services. I mean, I look, we've got a couple of them here in the outline that really don't even sell themselves as read it later services, but yet you can absolutely use it as a read it later service. I mean, with you know, Pinboard, it saves your article for offline reading. It gives you organizational tools. You know, it's like, it's not that different from a read it later service, but coming at it from a different angle. But I think that the thing you lose with these bookmark services is the thing I like most about read it later services is that nice presentable UI to read the article itself, to give you a better experience of reading the article. 
and Pinboard doesn't do a great job with the, with the, the reading experience. Uh, again, you can strip it away, but it's really bookmarking first and you can kind of use it as a read it later service if you want. I mean, heck, you can use something like Apple Notes or a Word document. You can use lots of things to save bookmarks. So I think that's where Pinboard is kind of a, a step below Instant Paper and Pocket. For this use case, Pinboard is super useful if you need online bookmarks. It can even pull in things like uh, I've got it set up. Uh, if I, I logged my Pinboard account for the first time in years in preparation, this like, oh, all this is still just running where any link that I tweet or that 512pixels tweets get saved as a bookmark in Pinboard. Like you can ingest a bunch of stuff automatically. So it's it's really handy, but it's like it's kind of like a half step away from a pure read it later service, I think. Agreed. Agreed. And there's a similar one that's newer on the block, and that's raindrop.io, which is the same thing. It's really a bookmarking service. And it feels a lot like a read it later service, but at you know, fundamentally it's a bookmarking service. And you can save your bookmarks to it. You can add them to it, and it does a great job. It does offline stuff. It and it's got nested folders. It's it it is built around organization, not reading. And I think that's kind of the that's kind of the theme for both Pinboard and Raindrop is that you know, if you want something to organize your own collection of the internet, this is something you should probably look at if you're looking for something to be a read it later service it's probably not the answer i I tend to agree with that you can kind of shoehorn that use case into these but that's not what they were necessarily built to do yeah there is a sort of a newcomer on the block and i i think one that is is actually really interesting uh in good links it's a universal app mac ios ipad everywhere and it takes a lot of the ideas of a later service, but puts it in a native application. You know, Instant Paper, you're just on the web on the Mac. It has iOS apps, but GoodLinks has a Mac app, all these apps. And it takes a lot of these things from read it later services and kind of makes them more native. So you have tagging, you have that organization, it has offline content, it has a nice reading experience just in the app. But what's cool about this is it's, it's five bucks for the app where almost all of these services have a monthly or yearly subscription. And that's because they have web components, right? And paper's got to sync all this stuff around. Good links just uses iCloud syncs really, really quickly, really nicely. Uh, so this is sort of a, a new era. I think of, of read it later services. Now good links itself is it's young. It's it's, it misses some basic things. Like uh, if you want to, on the Mac, for instance, if you want to select multiple articles to tag all at once, can't do that. Um, hopefully that's coming. I've actually sent some feedback about that, but it it does show its young age in places, but I think it's really promising. And I think that uh, it could be a really viable alternative now, but especially in the future to things like Instapaper and Pocket. Yeah, it feels to me like one to watch. And it, it is very different in the idea that it's storing your articles in your iCloud data as opposed to having its own like web source for them, mm-hmm. which could make it more stable, but also it limits your options. Like one of the nice things about having this data on the web is you can automate it with web automation. Yeah. Whereas good links is more focused on local automation, which, you know, that's usually my jam. You know, I love keyboard maestro and shortcuts and doing that stuff. And good links is, 
an app that would work well with those tools. Mm -hmm. But actually for this kind of stuff, I actually think web automation is more important for me. So yeah, I played with good links, but it, you know, it's missing a lot of features. It's very early days for good links and I'm going to keep an eye on it, but I, I just don't think it's really what I wanted. I wanted something more mature if I'm going to, you know, get involved with this and go down this rabbit hole. I think that's totally fair. And I think a lot of people would agree with that, that the web automation stuff is really nice, but if you don't need it, you just want something local you pay for once, uh, it's definitely worth checking out. I, I'm also going to put in the show notes a link to the review on Mac Stories about it. And this was written back in June by a friend, John Voorhees. The app has come a long way from this in terms of reliability and stuff and, and the Mac app being uh, much better in the review. It didn't have a share extension or Safari extension and stuff. And a lot of that's come along in the last couple of months. This is very actively developed, uh, but it gives you a good look and feel about uh, what good links could be like. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU, MPU in caps, to learn more and to sign up for a free 30-day trial and then 20% off. We talk about 1Password a lot because, frankly, we use it a lot. We all interact with passwords, credit card numbers, secure notes, uh, just endlessly. I feel like every every few minutes, it feels like some days I'm logging into something or need information out of 1Password. And because it's so well integrated into macOS and into iOS, it means that it's not a, a, a pain. You know, I'm not having to go back and forth and and like, oh, trying to remember something short term because it's all just integrated. I can use the features that are already in iOS, like uh, automatic keychain stuff, or I can just unlock with Face ID. Uh, that is coming to Big Sur, by the way. Password autofill is coming to the Mac with Big Sur, so it'll be really seamless there as well. But even on uh, my Windows machine, I can use one password and have all my stuff there, and it autofills in the browser as I expect. It's just fantastic to have a tool like this that I know I can rely on no matter uh, what I'm doing or my situation at the time. 1Password works with Teams, so you can sync things with your coworkers or employees. You can control access, who has what passwords. Very easy to manage centrally. Also have 1Password for families. So you can share login information with the important people in your life. You know, my wife and I have used this for years. It's fantastic that if one of us updates a password or opens an account somewhere, we both have access to it instantly. So head on over to onepassword.com slash MPU to learn more and to sign up for that free 30-day trial. And when you sign up, you'll get 20% off. OnePassword.com slash MPU. Our thanks to 1Password for their support of the show. All right, so we talked about in the RSS show where we ended up with RSS apps, but I think it's time to have the same conversation about Read It Later apps. What are you using? Well, I guess you've already kind of told us. You're an yeah. Instapaper man. Yeah, we're using, I'm using Instapaper. Uh, I, I tried Good Links for about a month, and I really like having a Mac app. I really like uh, sort of the idea that it's just an app syncing with iCloud. I did run into some bugs with it or some some limitations. I think just because it's young, I, th I fully believe those would be sorted in the future. Uh, one thing I tried to do was I imported my Instapaper archive into Good Links, and it was thousands of articles, and it really kind of struggled with syncing that around. Uh, I'm looking now, it's almost 10,000 items. 
and uh that was a lot but good links eventually synced it i think that's probably more icloud than good links but i was about to say that i think that's probably on the back of icloud more than good than good links yeah yeah i i think so uh but it was <laughs> a lot of stuff and i think that again in the future i think good links could be something that i could move to pretty easily but right now at least instapaper because it's on the web because it has that history because it has folders because it has a really good reading experience uh that definitely fits what i need a little bit more yeah, I went into this with a totally open mind. I was thinking that, you know, maybe I'm fine with a reading list, but I should go and try these other services. We're going to talk about them on the show. I think that was my initial take. And then I started with Instapaper and I was just shocked about how much better my articles looked in Instapaper. I just kind of forgot how good Instapaper is at rendering articles. And uh, so I was, you know, I, I originally was like very tempted by Instapaper, but then, like I said earlier, I mean, I have this history with Pocket, so I wanted to give Pocket a real try, and I went in there, and I just wasn't as happy with the way they looked. And it was, you know, I'm I'm not interested in the social features, but you don't have to use those with Pocket, so that was kind of like a non-issue for me. I like Pocket's organizational through tagging better. Um, and of course I had a, a lot of history data in there, but ultimately the reading view in Instapaper is what kind of brought me into Instapaper. And that's why I ended up subscribing to Instapaper. So now I'm an Instapaper subscriber. Um, there, the other thing is since I used Instapaper last, the highlighting and notes feature is new. I mean, they didn't have it the last time I was an Instapaper user. And, uh, I'm going to talk in a minute about my, my research workflow, but, that having that built into my read it later app actually opened up some things for me that gave me a, a new ability, some new abilities with my research workflow that cut out a bunch of extra steps based on what I was doing before. And um, it was just, you know, it's like one of those things where you make a workflow improvement that is just better from every angle. And so that in addition made it a no brainer for me to go to Instapaper and uh, to be fair, you could I can do highlights and notes in Pocket too. So that actually I didn't have to choose Instapaper or Pocket based on that workflow change. But I like the way Instapaper looks. So and because it gives me the web tools I need to to do that workflow, I went ahead and chose that one. Uh, the challenge for me is their folder organization, and the way I've handled it is just I've got a, a longer list of folders than I'd like to have. You know, rather than have a um, you know, an Apple folder with the Mac folder and an iPad folder. I've just got a, a Mac folder and an iPad folder. So, so the, the list is longer at one level, but that's fine for me. And I have, um, you know, I think it's an, a nice idea to organize articles. Like I have areas of my life that I try to kind of keep a taxonomy about, you know, you know, me as a husband, me as a dad, me as a nerd, me as a lawyer. So I try and, and use that folder system throughout my life, and I've just brought that into Instapaper. So I know where to go to find what I need. That was a lot of words. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the winner for both of us. And yeah. I think if you are want to take this seriously, it's a it's a, a really strong contender. And it has been for a really long time, which is cool. Yeah, and I, I don't think that if you're listening to use Pocket, I don't think you should run out and switch over. If you're yeah. happy with Pocket, stay with Pocket. It's great. But but because of the reading experience and despite the folder structure, I, I chose Instapaper. 
But the, the thing I've been kind of teasing throughout the show is my research workflow because um, kind of going through this process actually opened my eyes to some technology available to me I didn't realize that I had. Um, you know, I've always had, you know, I talk about this on the Focus podcast, but I've never been someone who can just like read something and know it. You know, like I knew I had friends growing up and friends in law school who had these like didactic memories where they could just read it and just recite it back to you and just know it. And I was always super jealous of them. The only way I could actually uh, keep up with people like that is through sweat. You know, I'd have to read it multiple times and, you know, going back to college and law school, I kind of had this system where like in law school, you have to read these cases, right? Well, every day you've got to read 20 cases and I would read them with colored highlighters. Like I'd start with yellow and I'd highlight a whole bunch of the case. And then I'd go back through with blue and I'd highlight just the parts from within those highlights that I thought were, um, you know, super important. And then sometimes I'd go back with green. And by the time I'd read the case three times, then I was able to distill it down to the most important parts. And I'd be able to talk about it because the way law school works is that the professor calls your name randomly and you have to stand up and explain what happened in that case and what it means. Oh boy. And you know, <laughs> you're you're in front of 80 of your colleagues and you know, you don't want to look like a bozo. You know? So so I would read everything three times and do these highlights with the color coding system. And then even as a lawyer standing in front of a judge, I've been doing the same thing for almost 30 years now. And and so I wanted to do something digital like that. The way I've done that digitally, like if I was in reading list and I had something I wanted to use. And this is the thing. I don't just use this for legal cases. I do it for everything. If it's something I want to write about for Max Sparky, if it's something I'm researching as a field guide topic, you know, even honestly, sometimes if it's an article about how to get my dog to stop biting me, you know, so I go through and do this process. But with reading list, I would just export it as PDF, put it in my PDF app and literally do the same thing I've been doing for 30 years with physical highlighters with digital ones. And when, when I saw the highlight feature in Instapaper and Pocket, I got thinking, huh, I wonder if there's a, a better way to do this. And at the same time, over the last three months, I've been kind of digging in on this Rome research application, which we'll, we'll talk about on the show at some point because it's becoming a bigger part of my, my workflow. Because Rome research has the ability with text that you import it to apply a highlight to it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I wanted is the ability to highlight multiple times. And just in the last week, I discovered on the internet, um, there's a whole bunch of people that are doing, they call it progressive highlighting. Well, it's the same thing I've been doing my whole life, but now there's a fancy word for it. But, um, But I wanted multiple passes. So I started looking into, well, how could I combine that first level, that yellow highlight in an Instapaper app, but then also be able to do the multiple passes and kind of distill it down. And... I found out it was really possible. And there's an app out there, a web service called Readwise, um, readwise.io. And the idea behind Readwise is uh, when you read a book on Kindle, um, you highlight. I don't know. Do you do that when you read Kindle books? Do you highlight them? Absolutely. I highlight the hell out of my Kindle books. And I've read like, <laughs> t- I've read like 200 nonfiction books on Kindle. And I've got this massive number of highlights. And what I found was I was never really... I was never really going back. I wasn't getting the benefit of those highlights, right? And so I found Readwise like six months ago and I I subscribed to it. And 
you know, it's, it's been really great for me because what it does is it imports all your Kindle highlights. So it's an app that just collects what you think was most important about the books you read. And, and then it sends me an email every day with five random highlights out of the books I've read. And so it resurfaces things that you thought about before. And, you know, that's how you incorporate this stuff. But earlier in the show today, you had made a, a, a statement that you hadn't digested. You know, you go in there to digest something. And that's a common language a lot of people use about this stuff. Because when you read something for the first time, it's like you've got the bites in your mouth, but you haven't digested them yet, right? I mean, you just read it. It's right. going back through it and highlighting and thinking about it and and ultimately, fr- frankly, summarizing it back or teaching it to somebody else that you really digest something. And so Readwise has given me this great service for the last six months where I get this daily email. I, I hate junk email. This is like one of my favorite morning emails. It comes at 5 a.m. every day. When I wake up, I read five things that I thought were important that I may have highlighted, you know, 10 years ago on my Kindle. And I love it. And uh, so that's the reason I subscribe to the service. But then I realize, you know, the connections start coming together as I'm playing with Instapaper. Hey, wait a second. Readwise can import Instapaper highlights. You can connect Readwise to Instapaper, right? So now I've got some glue on the internet. So I'm I'm in Instapaper. Last night I was reading an article in bed by Kurashdini, who has been a guest on the show. He's a really smart guy. He talks a lot about productivity. And I highlighted some things he wrote. And this morning, it's in my Readwise library. You know, I didn't, you know, I didn't take any steps except highlight it in Instapaper, but I you know, I connected the two services and now Readwise, in addition to having stuff in there from, you know, uh, people's books that I've read, it's got stuff in there from people's articles I've read, even people like Kurush. And so now in that morning, you know, five highlights I'm going to get, I may see his highlight in there in a future day and I'm resurfacing this stuff. So with me so far? Yeah, that's all really cool. Like I'm quietly signing up for this as you talk. (laughs) It is, it's great. Okay. But this is, and to connect it to Instapaper, all you do is you press a button and you put your Instapaper credentials. And by the way, it works with Pocket too. So if you're a Pocket subscriber and you're doing Pocket highlights, you can do the same thing. So that's great. Well, now they've also got a service in there. It's it's in beta, but it's working fine. That will then take those highlights for every book you've read and create a research page in Rome Research. And we've talked about Rome briefly on the show in the past, and we, we need to give it a show in the future to really explain it right. But Rome is a it's a service where you can make connections between ideas and thoughts, and everything gets its own web page. What makes the service kind of amazing is that there's no hierarchy to it. You, it's like chaos. You put it in there, but as you link things together, it just works. So I've now got all the highlights I'm making on my Kindle and on Instapaper importing into Rome research and it's got links in it to the people who wrote the article, the name of the book. So I can easily find and go through this and everything is searchable. So now I can go through and I can even show me, Hey, what are the highlights that I've added in the last week? So I can go on Sunday and I can just read the highlights that I've saved to Rome, but Rome has its own highlight feature. Okay, so now I've gone from the yellow highlighter to the blue one, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm able to take the the best stuff I highlighted the first time and pick the best stuff out of that. So I've got a second layer of highlight there. 
And then, it, so I, I can literally have two layers of highlights on my research. And then the third step for me is to summarize it, you know, write it in my own words. And then suddenly I've actually digested something. And all this stuff is based on this web kind of weird workflow. And I know people listening are like, oh yeah, Sparky's gone off the reservation again. But, <laughs> you know, when you put this stuff together, it's really exciting and powerful if you're somebody that needs to do the research. So now I don't have to do the print to PDF and highlight and all the nonsense I've been doing for basically the last 10 years um, of working on a computer. And now I can just do it through this web-based automation service. And at every step, it's better, you know. Uh, the reading experience on Instapaper is better than a reading experience in a PDF app. You know, the links I get out of Rome are automatic. I don't have to manually create them. I don't have to draw links between documents. It does it for me. And it's just, um, and then that second layer of highlight in Rome and the ability to summarize there and then link it back to other articles that I'm interested in. It's um, it's very exciting to me. And uh, I'm just really glad to to see the internet surprise me sometimes with, the way you can tie things together. So, so Readwise, it not only does it give me these five uh, links per day, it's giving me some glue to tie all this stuff together. You do sound a little off the reservation, but it is really cool. And I do want to talk about Rome Research at some point. And apps like it, Obsidian is another one. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, I'm Obsidian not familiar with too. them. Uh, but I can tell you right now in the background, I have Readwise pulling in my Kindle highlights. So you've, you've converted me partially, uh, partially at least. Yeah, no, it's great. And even if you just read on Kindle and you don't do, even if you don't want to go that extra mile of into something like Obsidian or Rome Research, you know, having a place to collect all this stuff is is really useful. Mm-hmm. So that's it, man. I, I have um, gone a little crazy with this stuff, but it all started because I started researching apps for an RSS show. <laughs> so... But it's totally changed. Yeah, well, like we said, they're, they're very related, right? The, I think the yeah. most common workflow is I'm reading in my RSS app. I don't want to save it for later. Like, the, And you swipe over and send it to Instapaper or whatever. That's the heart of this. And now we can just build things on top of it through things like web automation. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And I, I don't just use this for legal research. I use it for anything that I'm interested in. You know, lately I've been, you know, dabbling in some other topics and I, all that stuff just goes through the same workflow. And it's, it's just really a pleasure to use. I, it always makes me happy when I'm able to bring some kind of automation, whether it be web-based or, or, you know, on-device automation to make this stuff easier for me. And so often it's like a 100% improvement. Like I don't, it doesn't cost me anything and everything works better. And uh, this is one of those experiences for me. So we'll put links in the show notes. You can check these services out. And um, and it was fun talking about read later services. Yeah. But Apple had an announcement this week, and we need to talk about that too, right after this. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Eero, the Wi-Fi every home deserves. Get your Eero delivered with free next day shipping. Just go to eero.com slash MPU. Eero is the internet in my home. Uh, these days, your house isn't just your home. It's an office. It's a school. It's a movie theater. It's a restaurant. All these activities and more put a strain on your Wi-Fi. And it's not good enough if it's only good in a room or two. You want it to work everywhere in your house. That's why you need Eero. 
we had uh we did before we had Eero, we had the apple you know base stations and it just wasn't working and one of the things i've told the story in a show before was my kids were using cellular data in their rooms without telling me and we got this cellular bill i'm like what is going on with the cellular and they're like oh yeah we just use cellular because the wi-fi doesn't work in our room so we got Eero and we set it up and the kids rooms are kind of in a distant part of our sprawling 1500 foot home the uh you know now they have internet it's just not an issue anymore with eero it's got the ability to stretch the wi-fi across your house it's very easy to install it's very easy to manage and it just puts wi-fi in every corner of your house and also in my case the backyard too eero is an amazon company that covers your whole home with fast reliable wi-fi inside and out rooms with bad to no wi-fi dropouts on your patio eero makes every square foot of your house usable by eliminating poor coverage and dead spots you'll have a consistently strong signal wherever you need it and it's really easy to install you can be on a work call and the kids can be doing remote learning and someone can be streaming videos all at the same time without any buffering when you have Eero. In fact, that's the case with this podcast. As we're recording this, I know there are two girls in my house watching something on streaming, but it's not a problem. Eero is fast and easy to set up. Just plug it into your modem and you're good to go. You manage Eero from a super simple app. You can pause for dinner and get alerts if any device attempts to join your network. We're asking a lot of our Wi-Fi. Eero can help yours do more. Go to eero.com slash MPU and enter code MPU at checkout to get free next day shipping with your order. That's eero.com slash MPU code MPU at checkout to get your Eero delivered with free next day shipping. Eero.com slash MPU code MPU and solve your Wi-Fi problems today. Our thanks to Eero for their support of this show and all of Relay FM and also keeping the Sparks House internet running through the pandemic. Thanks, Hero. All right, David. So Apple had a uh, a, a weird September event. Would we just yeah. say it's a weird year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is the first September event since the iPhone 4S where we haven't had new iPhones, which is uh, it's not a surprise. Apple warned us about this in their last quarterly results, but it's still it's weird to be here in mid September and still uh, not knowing what the iPhone's going to be, but. They did get some stuff out the door, Apple Watch and iPad stuff. Let's maybe start with the iPad. You're a bigger iPad user than I am. Have the the regular iPad got updated, just a spec bump, a pretty noticeable spec bump, I think. And the iPad yeah. Air got redesigned. And I want to know what you think about that iPad Air because it's encroaching on the iPad Pro territory a little bit. Oh, I mean, I think the big takeaway is the decision between iPad Air and iPad Pro just got a lot harder. And I think the decision to buy an iPad Pro honestly gets a lot more hard to make because they've they brought so much down to the ipad pro i mean you've got that cool new design you've got the apple pencil integration um you've got the uh liquid what do they call it liquid retina display liquid retina, yeah. yeah and it's laminated display and it looks good uh, the colors are the colors are cooler on the ipad air than they are on the ipad pro i mean let's mm-hmm. talk about those colors for a minute what is it with apple where they want to penalize the people who buy their most expensive products. I know. Well, Pro, you know, Pros just went silver and space gray. Not this Pro. Reasons. Not this Pro. No, I agree with you. Uh, so the the iPad Air is in silver and space gray, but then a, a blue, a green, and a pink, kind of rose gold, pinkish color. They're all 
pretty subdued, but I think they're all really nice. Uh, so hopefully she's not listening to this, but my, my wife is going to end up with a new iPad Air when they ship in October. Yeah. She has a, and maybe a first gen iPad Pro, the little one, and it's it's seen better days. It's got some physical damage. So I'm going to surprise her with one of these, and uh, I don't know what color to get her. So I need, I need to find a way for her to like see the blue and the green, but not know it's an iPad color. Be like, which one of these random aluminum colors do you like for no reason at all? <laughs> oh, use me. Just say, you know, because everybody will think I'll buy anything. They're like, hey, Sparky's mm-hmm. going to get the, he can't decide between the blue and the green. Which one do you like better? Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to send her this link right now. <laughs> I tell I tell my kids and my clients, you can always blame me. I don't mind. If you're mm-hmm. at a party, you just say my dad's a jerk. I can't, I can't smoke that, you know? Yeah, you know, and, there you go. But yeah, yeah, you can use me too, Stephen. My my podcast partners can use me for blame as well. No, I, I think the colors are cool, and I I really do wish they were on the iPad Pro. I you know we're recording this pretty early in the process, so all the specs aren't out yet, and I haven't been able to compare them. But like one thing that stands out for me is the camera unit is much better in the iPad Pro. I rarely use the camera in the iPad Pro. Yep. I mean, I use it to scan documents, but I haven't taken a lot of like photography with it. And I don't have the newest iPad Pro with the LiDAR scanner, so I don't, I don't have any experience with that. But, you know, it's just remarkable how close they are. My my sister, as we record this, has been trying to decide what she wants to get between the Pro and the Air. And I told her to wait for today's announcement. I said, oh, it's obvious now. Just get the Air. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. so much closer and the, it's much less expensive. The thing that stood out, a couple things stood out to me. Uh, one of them is just the ridiculous speed that the iPad has achieved with Apple Silicon. You know, they did the section when they went with Tim Millett down into the labs, you know. Um, yeah. And, you know, they're down to a five nanometer process. I believe this is the first time Apple has done this on any of their Silicon. Yes. But, but I'm thinking, oh, you know, we're going to hear about this with Apple Silicon Max very soon, right? And uh, and probably the iPhone um, at least the iPhone 12 Pro very soon. So they're just getting these ridiculous benchmarks out of these iPads and they're running circles around, you know, traditional PCs. And I'm thinking, so why isn't the iPad completely taking over? They're cheaper, they're lighter, they're, you know, multiple times faster than laptops. And, you know, I just keep coming back to, you know, they still have, catch up to do on the software. Yeah. The software is what holds the iPad back from the Mac user perspective, but the software is also what allows people to use an iPad as their only computer who may have never used a personal computer for a lot of things, right? It's yeah. the iPad is like the ultimate double-edged sword for Apple where some of its customers want more and more out of it while they have a lot of customers who don't need anything more from it honestly would be confused by more of it. So Apple's got to walk that line. But for, for those of us who are Mac centric, like the hardware is great. My my iPad pro, I have the same one you do the 2018 one, I guess. And the hardware is fantastic, but it lacks in the software and the OS uh, support for a lot of things I need to do. Well, like today we're covering read it later services and there's a bunch of them that we're going to talk about or that we talked about. I'm sorry, we're recording this stuff out of order. Um, but the, uh, but like with Instapaper, it is an amazing experience on iPad. So you just have to remember there are things that are better on iPad than they are on, on laptops. And there are things on laptops that are better than they are on iPad. 
And thankfully, Apple is supporting both platforms. But there's a lot of like workflowy productivity, you know, stuff I do that just honestly, just that extra, just extra little bit of friction on the iPad makes me hesitate to pick it up. And, um, but boy, the problem certainly is not the silicone <laughs> because these things are killer when you look at how fast they go. Uh, USB-C on the iPad Air. Yeah. Does that mean we're heading towards USB-C on the iPhone 12 Pro? Mm, maybe. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the iPad Air has moved so much closer to the Pro. Really, the only difference is our Face ID and the... Uh, cameras. The cameras, the LiDAR sensor. But the iPad Pro didn't get an update. So the iPad Pro is still using the A12Z processor, and this one has the new A14. What I'm assuming, and we're going to talk in more power users about what we think is coming next month, but I assume that that's just another shoe to drop. The iPad Pro will get caught up. Yeah. But And the fact that the iPad Air is not for sale until October kind of makes me think that the Pro will get an update. I don't know why they just didn't announce it now. Maybe the A14 is not quite ready to go in, in bulk yet, but... Still, I mean, gosh, the iPad Air seems like a really great iPad, um, and the the pricing isn't isn't too bad. So, I mean, the it's all one size, so you don't have to worry about that. But it starts at um, all same screen size, I should say. But it uh, it's five ninety nine starts at five ninety nine for sixty four gigs, which I I wish that was one twenty eight sixty four is pretty small. Yeah, but the seven forty nine is two hundred fifty six gigs, so. I wish for a little more storage space, but I think the pricing is is pretty decent. Yeah, I uh, I was impressed. A couple things stood out from me from the iPad Mini announcement that were not talked about. Um, what about the Mini? You know, we didn't hear anything about it. And yeah, is it going away, or are they making a Pro Mini? You know, I felt like that iPad Air would have been a great time to say. And by the way, we're making this in a Mini package too. You know, I mm-hmm. I just almost felt like that shoe was going to drop today and it didn't um but you know the ipad air has the you know the fancy keyboard it's got the new pencil it is a nice ipad i feel like this is for me going to be the go-to recommendation for people going forward i think so too i think the only reason to go to the eighth generation is if cost is the most important factor or if it's for a kid now they didn't say it with the iPad, but they announced with the Apple Watch that they are not shipping the power brick. I don't know if that means they're going to do the same thing with the iPad or not. I think the iPad they probably will because it's got a bigger power brick. Yeah. Um, but you know, that was kind of interesting. I guess we can talk about that in relation to the watch in a minute. But uh, we haven't mentioned the the eighth generation iPad. First of all, it's just crazy to hear that it's eighth generation, but that's a solid update too. And again, for like half the price of the iPad Air, you're getting a heck of an iPad. Absolutely. You know, it uses the old design, but that's fine. Honestly, for a lot of people, old design and lightning is great because it's compatible with their, maybe their existing case or their existing cables and everything. And I mean, this is the iPad that they want to push into schools. They mentioned education several times. Uh, they, I noticed specifically that they compared the speed of these iPads to Chromebooks, which are just taking off in schools. Like Apple's not being shy about wh- what this iPad is, is for. Yeah. But see, that's a software problem for schools. The the uh, the Google oh, software is what's pulling it. People don't care about the processing speed. They need the software to be better. 
but they can make it six times faster than a Chromebook. And actually, I think they said it was six times faster today. But they can make it 12 times faster. It still would be an issue for them. Uh, One of the things on the iPad Air I don't want to leave is the fingerprint sensor on the top button. It's like, isn't part of you thinking, wow, wouldn't that be nice on the new iPhone? Especially in modern times where every time I want to unlock my phone, I seem to be wearing a mask. Yeah, I absolutely want Touch ID on my next iPhone. Uh, And the iPhone, they could do both. You know, the, the iPad Air doesn't have face id it didn't before so that's not a loss but i feel like on the phone having both would be would be sweet um this was rumored kind of last minute and and they delivered it um and i think that it's a, a really nice compromise so you get the thin bezels and the nice design but you don't have to spend the money on the face id hardware and and looking at the exploded view it looked to me like a lot of the technology was in the button which gave me hope. You know, I'm thinking, yep. you know what? This might be something they could have shoehorned into an iPhone this year. I mean, we've had six months since this all started. Um, it may, yeah, I don't know. I, we'll see. We're going to talk about uh, the phone after in the more power users episode. You want to talk about the watch a little bit? Yeah, let's do it. So uh, let's start with the Series 6, kind of the flagship watch. The biggest two, I think, two changes to talk about are the blood oxygen sensing. So on the back yeah. of the watch, it's had the heart rate monitor forever. This has been added to that. So now the back of it just looks like a Christmas tree, right? This is like red and green yeah. LEDs everywhere. Yeah. Um, this is a huge tracking. Of course, it, we all know a lot about it now in the, in the time of COVID, but uh, an important health metric, not only for health, but also for fitness. They can combine these things and show you some more information about your VO2 max and all of this fitness tracking. Uh, which is great. Again, something that was rumored. Not enough for me to upgrade. I'm going to stay on my Series 5, but I think that if you're on a older watch, the Series 6 is a great place to uh, to jump in. Yeah, it's like it's in the rotation now. So whenever you get around to getting a new Apple Watch, that's going to be there for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that was really the only major improvement but then they, once again, they added a bunch of colors, which is kind of fun, including the gold is coming back, but it's a stainless steel version of gold. Yeah. Stainless steel version of stainless steel gold is here and the, but the ceramic's gone, but the titanium stayed. Oh, did it? Uh, yeah, so, okay, good. you know, they continue to mix up the finishes a little bit and the, um, the aluminum ones can now be had in blue or product red as well, which is not for me, but I think a lot of people are going to really like the the blue and the red. Can I just say last year, I thought I was kind of being extravagant buying the titanium Apple watch. I love this watch so much. Me too. I love yeah, the I got way one it too. Looks. I love it. I wear it every day. I still look at it and smile. It looks good with all of my bands, man. That was a nice purchase, but uh, yeah, cool. Uh, the new straps, they've got a bunch of new straps, including one that doesn't have a buckle. And yeah. uh, it's like uh, with the, the solo loop, they call it. And mm-hmm. it's liquid silicon. I'm starting to think about Terminator 2, right? You know, what's this thing yeah. going to do on my wrist? But <laughs> I, I don't think there's that much given it because they've. Got, it looks like they, on screen, they had many different sizes of it. You've, you're going to have to size it to get the right one for you. Yeah. So when you go to the website to buy one of these bands or buy a watch with this band, they have a size guide and you print it. 
and you put it around your wrist and it gives you a number. It's like, oh, okay, you're size six or you're size seven. And then you order that size. And the idea is that it stretches enough to go over your hand, but then it's still snug on your wrist. And you can do silicone. They also have a, a fabric one that they said is made of recycled yarn material, which it looks... It looks like a sweater. It's like the sweater watch band, I think is what, I'm, what what they're going for. You know, I don't know what the texture is. That'll be important, but it looks really cool to me. Like, I would like to get one of those braided ones. I think it looks really cool. Um, we'll yeah, they do look see. cool. Uh, it's expensive. The braided one is 100 bucks, which is a pretty oh, okay. pricey Apple watch band. Yeah, I'm not going to be getting one of those. <laughs> 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 okay. Yeah, see, I've I've been spoiled by Amazon when it comes to Apple Watches. Oh, I know. <laughs> you know, I, I also just want to put as an aside, oh, they have that leather link. They have a new leather one without a buckle, which does not look entirely attractive to me. I'm not sure that one. I'd have to see it in person. That one does not look that good to me. Mm-mm, I agree. Uh, but that um, I never really noticed, but they had a shot of the Hermes or Herme face. I don't know what everybody listening in those fashion is mad at me right now. The, I didn't realize how, how good looking their faces that comes with that band. I mean, it's again, it's out of my price range, but yeah, that's like a special stainless steel watch. I mean, it's pretty wild. Yeah. But the face on it, I really like that, which just reminded me, even though we heard about a bunch of faces and we'll talk about a couple of them in a minute, we really need a, uh, the ability to make our own watch faces or developers that can come up with their own. I, you know, waiting for Apple to come up with new faces isn't good enough for me. You know, I thought they were going to say that because they were showing off the watch faces and watch OS seven. And they're like, and we have better tools. And I was like, do it, do it, do it. But it was just talking about complications. So I (laughs) I was let down. Yeah, I know. (laughs) What did you think of the new faces? So we, we saw the talkie, video from Alan Dye. So I guess he is truly taken over for Johnny now that he has yeah. the ominous voice. Uh, but they had the GMT face, which is kind of cool where you can see different time zones. I'm not sure how much I'd use that, but uh, if you travel a lot, I think that would be cool. The count up face looked interesting to me. It, I felt like these have not all been in the watch beta. Are they just dropping some new watch faces on us? So I think as of our recording, that's a little unclear if some of these are watch series six only. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, we're recording this before watch OS seven officially ships. That'll be as we record this tomorrow. So uh, I, I don't know. I think we'll just, we'll just have to see uh, where that lands. I do think the new watch faces do look nice. I generally use one of the modular ones. It's ugly, but like I have a computer on my wrist. I want it to do computer things and, and tell me a bunch of data at a glance. So I don't know if I would switch to any of them, but I think they're they're nice alternatives. But yeah, man, it's it's totally time. Like, please let third party developers get in there and do stuff and, you know, run them through your app store and have a bunch of rules around them. But I think it would be it'd be so nice to have more options. Shortcuts allows you to set a watch face now and they have um, timing. Uh, You can have time based triggers, automatic timing triggers that don't require confirmation. So something I've been doing is I have shortcuts now that change my watch face throughout the day um, in the mornings. And we'll talk about this more next week on the iOS 14 show, but in the mornings I have it show just an analog face. Cause that's when I'm like recording and doing things and I don't want a lot of distraction. And then at noon, when I switch to lawyer mode, it changes to the infograph um, modular because I want to see my next appointments and I've just got a lot more. I need more interaction with the watch when I'm wearing my lawyer hat and then in the evening, I've had 
been having it switch to the breathe face, which is the simplest of simple faces. But when I just look at it, it reminds me, Hey, you need to stop working and just be with your family and chill. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, that is something with iOS 14 and watch OS seven that everybody should try. But anyway, um, I think that the, the new faces look nice. The stripes face looked cool to me. I thought it'd be fun to be able to set stripes based on what you're wearing that day. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I did mention earlier that they are not shipping the power brick with it. And I feel like this is the first of several products we're going to hear that story on. And now we heard how they're going to tell the story. You know, if um, not shipping power bricks for watches eliminates the same carbon footprint of 50,000 cars per year, imagine how many cars we would save with the phone. So just be ready for that. Yeah, this is definitely a warning shot for that to come. And and I think on the watch, it makes plenty of sense because most people's watch chargers are stationary, right? Like I, I the watch charging plug that's on my nightstand is probably from like my Series 2 watch, right? It's just been plugged in behind my bed yeah. for years and years. And so getting rid of the, the watchman is probably not even that big of a deal to people. And it gets it out there that, oh, this is something that we're going to do. Yeah, the only thing I would have done in Apple shoes on this, and I feel the same way about the phone, is I would have a very simple process where, like at checkout, you can say, "Oh, please send me a power brick." Yes, I think so. I think on the phone that's gonna that, that'll probably happen. Um, we didn't mention the Apple Watch SE, so now there's two classes of Apple Watch. Rather than just selling the two-year-old version at a cheaper price, they actually have an SE version, and it looked. Once again, very much like iPad Air to iPad Pro, close enough for most people. Yeah, so it looks like the Series 4, 5, and 6 with the bigger display. It does, um, it does lack some of, the, some of the core features. In fact, I'm going to put in the show notes the comparison page, which is like my favorite page on Apple's website to compare like all the watches, all the phones or whatever. It's very helpful. Yeah. Uh, but the SE, so this is what the SE lacks from the six. Uh, it does not have blood oxygen or ECG. It does not have an always on display. It The display turns off when you put your wrist down. It's only available in aluminum. So the other finishes aren't there and it's only silver space gray and gold. So the blue and red aren't available. Uh, and it, um, or I should say one surprising thing is that it is available in LTE. I kind of thought the SE may be GPS, you know, Wi-Fi only, but they, they have an LTE version, uh, which is pretty cool. Well, and there's a, there's a reason for that. We'll talk about that next. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, until that other reason was made known, I was like, Oh, why are they doing that? It starts at two seventy nine, but the series three, the smaller one is, is still one ninety nine, And, and so the way to think about this iPhone SE is actually a little bit different than the than the iPhone SE, which is like the cheapest iPhone. It's got it's old stuff in it, but a new processor. And my wife has one. She loves it. So it's actually a really, really good phone. But the SE watch is kind of like an in-betweeny between the cheap and the expensive one. Yeah. It's it. I mean, price point, it's basically right in the middle, but even kind of feature wise, it's in the middle. And so I think if you're... I think if you're new to the Apple Watch, the SE is the one to look at. If you already have an Apple Watch and like you're an Apple Watch person, and you know it, the Series 6 looks fantastic. But in thinking about, hey, I've got a family member, I want fall detection. Well, the Apple Watch SE does that for starting at 279. So it's a really compelling watch. And I think 
honestly, I'm okay with the compromise. The the always on display is a bit of a bummer, but other than that, I feel like Apple kind of cut the right stuff to get something where you get the Apple Watch experience, you get the important stuff, and you get it for uh, quite a bit cheaper. So if, to me, the SE is the Apple Watch for people who are not into fitness. You know. Oh yeah, that's a good way to think about it because you get the tracking, so much tracking with the Series Six that you don't with the SE. And then that kind of gets to the family setup thing. And uh, my kids are old enough, they need phones. But there's a lot of people with kids in the age that, you know, don't need a phone yet. And I thought, like, the video they did is almost perfect because the kids they used were, like, like right in that tweener age. You know, they're old mm-hmm. enough that they're out doing things, but they're not old enough that they really need a phone. When my youngest uh, was, like, pretty young, like in elementary school, she was very active in community in a community theater. That's like 20 minutes from my house. So she'd be there at rehearsals with, you know, adults watching her and we'd pick her up. But I always felt nervous about her being that far away from me. So I ended up getting her a phone earlier than I should have. And my older daughter made me very aware that she got her phone much later. <laughs> but you know, the only reason was I just wanted a, a tether on her and like a GPS on her. And like this product would have been perfect for that situation. And as we were recording, as we were watching this, I was thinking about your kids. I'm like, your kids are kind of in that age too. And so I guess I should, you know, the, the story is, and the listeners probably know, but they have this thing called family set up and you can put a watch on your kid and it gives you GPS. It gives them ability to call because it has to have GPS to work. I'm sorry, uh, cellular to work. Right. So they have limited calling abilities, but you can kind of track them and they get some features too, but it, you know, it's a watch that, so it's going to be strapped to them. So they're, they're less likely to lose it. Um, it's not going to play a bunch of games. So, you know, that they're not going to be up at two in the morning, you know, playing games mm-hmm. or watching Netflix on it. And it's a, it's a nice compromise for, for parents. I think it is too. Uh, there's even school time and downtime control. So you can say my kid can't use their Apple watch from, you know, this time to this time, which is really great. I think what's cool about this is that Apple is finally unshackling the watch from the phone, but in the way that makes the most possible sense, right? Like if you're yeah. going to un if you're going to break those bonds between the devices, kids without phones are like the first place I would go. And you know, I've got my two older kids are 10 and almost 12, like I'm not we're not doing this anytime soon, but in a few years, I think we would start with this like, "Hey, this is your first device that's kind of yours." Because they don't have their own iPads, they're sort of shared amongst the family, and it's it's always on them. We get all the benefits. Um, one thing that I think is really nice too is that kids can get those um, those fitness and like basically the features that adults get, and uh, there are uh, some real benefits to that. You know, the fall detection, the SOS, like this is good not only for adults but also for kids. So I'm excited by this. I think it's a really nice feature. Uh, I understand why it's LTE only, but that may that may turn some people off because those watches are more expensive. But uh, I see why they did it. Yeah, and the other use case they pitched for this is older people. Like uh, I was thinking about, like my mom towards the end of her life, she had a cell phone that she kept in a drawer that she never used. I mean, I think she may have used it for ten minutes in her life, but like this would have been something nice for her, where if she fell. It could tell me if she needed to call me from anywhere, if she's laying on the ground, she could call me, you know, or emergency services. So they're just, I can see a use case for this at both ends, you know, for young children and older adults. 
And uh, good for Apple. I mean, this one came out of the blue. I didn't hear any rumors about this, but it makes total sense once you understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last thing I want to talk about. Um, Apple One. Yeah, the, the, the services bundle is finally here. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't as confusing as I thought. Uh, they, added no, it, they added a new plus today, Fitness Plus, which makes a lot of sense, honestly. Because um, I've been doing fitness from home with with Fitbot, I've been using that app Fitbot, and I pay a subscription on that that isn't far off what Apple's asking for their service. But mm-hmm. but this one just puts uh, puts you know video on the screen, and it of course it's made by Apple, so it's going to be kind of better. Um, and then they've got all the other services: iCloud, Apple Music, Apple TV Plus, Apple Care, News, uh, Apple News Plus. Individually, you get it all. Actually, you don't get it all. For fifteen bucks a month, you get what is it? iCloud. Apple Music and Apple Arcade and Apple. Yeah. I think you get everything but Apple News Plus with for 15 bucks. Yeah. So the individual and family plans are music, TV, arcade, and iCloud. Yeah. Premiere is adds News Plus and Fitness Plus. Yeah. And um, right on the website, you can go and load it. It's in the show notes. It shows you if you're paying for those individually, how much you save. Uh, you know, in my household, we have iCloud family sharing with two terabytes of iCloud space and Apple music and Apple TV plus. And so I need to look and see if this makes sense for us because I, I don't think arcade is not important to us. Neither is news plus, but I, I may still be able to save some money and you can. So say that you're on a end of one of these plans and you've never tried Apple arcade. Then you also get a trial of arcade as, as like part of this. And so there are, kind of opening the door to people exploring these different services and having just one bill instead of being billed separately for like I am for iCloud and then Apple music for family and all, you know, TV plus all this stuff. So having it come out at once and like a pretty easy to understand way, I think is, I think it's great. I think that this was due to happen and I'm glad that they did it in a way that uh, seems pretty easy to follow. Yeah. Uh, my, you know, one thing I was disappointed is we didn't get updated tiers for storage and iCloud storage. Um, it's still two terabyte with the family plan. And uh, my family is getting dangerously close because we all take a lot of pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, hopefully at some point. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I think that is the the bulk of what Apple announced today, I think a pretty solid event weird for September. Um, they definitely left some stuff on the table, but I think it was, uh, well done. And I think it was pretty cohesive in what they were offering. So I give it a thumbs up. Yeah, me too. And I, I like the presentation mode. Um, as someone sitting home, I find this new method of jumping around campus and, putting people in different locations and, and just seeing the campus. Cause it's just, it is like a museum, you know? Uh, so it's, or I don't know, just like fancy architecture. I just like looking at the background in some of these shots much better than a stage. I would kind of, as somebody sitting home, like to see them continue doing this for future events. Um, having attended a live event, of course, that was way more exciting than this, but overall, I, I think it's a better experience. Yeah, it's, it is cool. And, uh, there, you know, there's lots of opportunity for jokes. So we saw like Craig Federighi twice as the camera to zoom past him. Like he wasn't yeah. on yeah. screen. Like he didn't talk about anything today, but we kind of saw him in a funny way. So I think, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think they've really honed this presentation style and I, I, I expect we'll see more of it before all this is over. Agreed. 
Okay, so that wraps it up for today. Uh, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. You can join the forums at talk.macpowerusers.com. There's links in the show notes for all the stuff we talked about. Um, I, I'm guessing a lot of our listeners are going to be checking out Readwise now that I've now I've converted Steven. That's who's right. Who's next, right? And mm-hmm. uh, we will be back next week. We have a show planned for iOS 14. We can't wait to share with you some of our tips and tricks and ideas about how to get the most out of it. And uh, sign up for that webinar, gang. I'd love to see you on October 1st. Thanks to our sponsors, Red Sweater Software, Squarespace, 1Password, and Eero. And we'll see you next week.